0: It was good to see all of you out this morning. We're glad that you're here with us. Excellent song choice for this lesson. Our lesson for today is entitled The Worldly Church. And it's not that we be the worldly church. And I don't think any church, whether it be a church of Christ or a denominational church, either one would ever dare to call themselves the worldly church. But the worldly church does exist. And so I want to look at this topic as uh, something that we need to avoid. Something that we need to strive to keep away from as far as the church is concerned. The church of God, the church of Christ, is meant to be in the world. Though it is not meant to be worldly, there is a difference. I want to use the illustration of a ship or a boat. Something that is in the water. Something that is meant to float on water. As we look at a ship, it is meant to be in water. It is built to withstand the pressures of the water around it so that it can float. But it is meant to be in the water. But certainly we understand that water is not meant to be in the ship. And if water gets into the ship... If it has a leak or something like that, it's going to sink very easily. So, as we look at the the illustration of a ship, the same way it is with the church. The church is meant to be in the world. God didn't create the church. Christ didn't establish the church with the idea in mind that we seclude ourselves from the world around us. We find our own little hole here and and we worship and we do what we're supposed to do and, and let the world do what they do. That's not the way the church was built. The church was meant to be in the world. But something that we have to understand is that the world is not meant to be in the church. I'm not talking about people, individuals, we're we're meant to go out and bring them in. But there are certain aspects of the world that were never meant to be introduced in the church. And so many times, on so many occasions, we find that too much of the world has gotten into the church, changing it from its original form. And it's something that we must be aware of and something that we need to, to understand is not to be in the eyes of God. And in these cases, as I mentioned before, no church would ever name themselves the worldly church. But I do guarantee you that the worldly church does exist. It is in existence in our world today, though many people don't recognize it as such. So we might ask the question, Can the church, in its original form, still be found in the world today? Can we find the church as it was established by Christ, as it was meant to be from the very beginning? Or is the church overall too far gone? What does the church that is in the world, but not of the world, look like? Because that's exactly the idea that we have here. We want to be in the world, but not of the world. And there is a difference, but what does that church look like? Does it exist? How can we find it? Can that church be us? And absolutely it can be. Our lesson objectives for this morning are to learn the difference between the church in the world and the church of the world. To strive to be the church that Christ established The church that God wants us to be. And ultimately that is our goal in everything. To be the church that God wants us to be. Let's look at some warnings against worldliness. Though these warnings are directed at individuals as Christians, the same apply to the church as a whole. We begin in 1 John chapter 2. In verses 15 through 17. 1 John 2, beginning with verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. To adopt any behavior based on lust or pride is to invite the world and its temptations to come in. And these things we are to avoid as Christians as well as the church. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now pay attention very closely to verse 2 and the first few words there. And do not be conformed to this world. So many times we can look at denominations, we can look at different churches and we see that they have been conformed to the world. Not too long ago, I, I ran across somebody who had made a Facebook post about the, the church they attend. I won't name it. But I will say that, that the worship service that I saw, what, what I saw in that video, looked more like a, a show off of Broadway or something like that. Something that we did in, in high school in choir. We used to, to do shows, and, and that's exactly what it looked like. And quite honestly, from a personal perspective, it looked like the church had been conformed to the world. We are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed. Transformed from what we we have been as individuals Transformed to be a a, a better version, a a better person, uh, better than, than what we have been. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We exhibit the will of God in our lives and how we live. And how we strive to be what He wants us to be. But we are not to conform ourselves to the world. But we are to be transformed. And in being transformed, we can transform the world around us as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17. And, and leading into the first verse of chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 6, and verse 17. Therefore, come out. From among them and be separate says the Lord do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters says the Lord Almighty verse 1 of chapter 7 therefore having these promises beloved let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There are four things that are listed that we should give careful attention to. First of all, we are called as Christians to be separate from the world by God. This isn't something that that just comes out of the blue. We are called by God to be separated from the world. Not to be the same, but to be different. But We're also told here, do not touch what is unclean. There is no room for transgression of God's command, even in the slightest. The separation is to be complete and final. We are to be free from such uncleanness. Those who separate themselves are blessed. Uh, Notice what it says here. I will receive you. I will be a father to you. There's something they receive in return from being separate from this world. This command for separation is mentioned also in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11 and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Such works are not to be tolerated, but exposed. And so we are to be separated from the world. In Ephesians 5, in verse 25 through 27. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. And this is a passage that we often read in regards to the subject of marriage. But I want to read these things with the the thought of the church in mind here and how the church is used in this illustration. Husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. I'm reminded of a friend of mine who whenever he would refer to the church. He would refer to her as the glorious church of Christ. And certainly she is to be glorious. The church in its purest form is found in this chapter. The church is to be kept without spot or blemish. The church established by God is to be a glorious church. And it remains so in its purity. Anytime that we take away the purity from the church, it is no longer the glorious church of Christ. And so it is important that we keep the church pure and unblemished. Only when it is corrupted does it lose its identity and glory. Now that's an important one. We see so many churches who have corrupted themselves. I mean congregations that were once faithful. There are so many congregations that have turned away from the scriptures. They've turned away to their own lusts, their own desires. And in so doing, the church has literally lost its identity. Many get to the point where they eventually decide, we're no longer, we don't want to be a church of Christ. And so they'll change the name of it and the church has lost its identity. When we look at the church, we need to keep it pure. And of course, it's not in the name that is on the church building, but it's what's inside. It's what's within the worship. It's what's within everything that they're doing. But we see that so many congregations have lost their identity because they have allowed themselves to be polluted by the world. It is the duty of every member to keep her pure, as it is mentioned in James. James chapter 1, verse 27, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. A warning against such worldliness within is found in James chapter 4 and verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We've seen many occasions where congregations, again once faithful, have decided to to join with denominations have joint worship services, work with them and and support them. We're not to have friendship with the world and things of the world. And and any congregation that, that chooses not to follow the scriptures and what they do is of the world. And any time that a congregation joins themselves to a congregation like that, they Have gained friendship with the world. And that is against the command of God. Worldliness. Worldliness cannot be a part of the life of a Christian, nor does it have any place in the church. God wants us to separate ourselves from anything that would defile us people, as individuals, and as the church. If we choose not to separate ourselves from the world, we become separated from God. And certainly that's something that we strive not to do as Christians. We don't want to be separated from God. An illustration that I saw a few years ago in a little booklet that we used with a teen class. uh, There's an illustration of someone who had not been saved. And all it was was a simple rectangular box. And in that box there were three sections. It was divided into three sections. On the top you had God. On the bottom you had sin. Or in the middle you had sin. And on the bottom you had man. So what we find here is, is when sin, the way that sin was laid out it was in a big black space. God and man were in in white spaces with black lettering. And sin was in a black space with white lettering. And it it showed very clearly that whenever sin is involved it comes between God and man. And the point of, of this is that We don't want to be separated from God, but sin separates us from God. And if we join ourselves to the world, if we sin in that way, then we are separating ourselves from God. The church has separated itself from God. Any such defilement separates us from God as individuals and as the church. And that's something that we should strive not to have in our lives. Now let's look at the church in the world versus the church of the world. The church must be in the world to fulfill its duties to God. Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. We often look at this and we refer to it rightly as the great commission. And so it is. Uh, You see, our mission is to be in the world. It requires that we be in the world. Matthew 28 and verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We have a duty to bring the lost who are in the world to Christ. Teaching them what they must do to be saved. And we can only fulfill this mission by being in the world. We must be a part of the world as individual Christians. We go out and we are in the world. As a church we go out and we are in the world to bring the lost to him. We are told in the Sermon on the Mount that we must also be the salt of the earth and the light to the world. Matthew 5 and verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This we do by the way we live in the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. When we go into the world and we live differently, we live as Christians. We must be in the world to fulfill the will of God. But we mustn't be of the world. First Corinthians chapter 5 beginning with verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Paul commands the brethren of Corinth to avoid keeping company with a brother who is sexually immoral, but makes it clear that he is not speaking of the wicked people that are in the world. What's the difference? His point is that if a Christian must abstain from the wicked people of the world, he must also go out of the world and he would lose his influence on the lives of the lost. If we are seeking to bring the lost in, we must be among them. Are not in the world, the lost cannot be saved, and though we must be in the world to save them, we must not be of the world that they are in. Now, the difference is that when it comes to a brother who is in sin, we must withdraw from that brother in order to bring them back, we must help them to realize that what they're doing is sinful. And that's what he's talking about here. Uh, If we were to withdraw from everyone who is sinful, we could not reach the lost. But if we do not withdraw from a brother who is sinful, then we cannot teach him that, that he is lost. We cannot teach him that he is in the wrong. And that's the difference. Ultimately, we must be different than the lost and wicked people of the world and not allow their influence to overpower us spiritually speaking and it's something we have to be very careful of that we do not spend too much time trying to reach those that are not going to come to Christ make sure that we don't become the influenced instead of the influencer now what does all this mean? First of all, as individuals. We understand that the world is beautiful to behold. It holds many wonderful treasures. But we must not allow ourselves to lust after the treasures of the world. Matthew 6 verses 19 through 21 And miss out on the the greatest treasure that could ever be. The greatest treasure is our eternal reward in heaven. And and that's where our treasure should be. And if our heart is, is placed, is set on those things above rather than on the things of the world, it will help us not to be worldly. We must abstain from sinful behavior and temptation that would lead us away from our reward. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicated nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And one of my favorite verses in Scripture is verse 11. It had this list of all of these people that will not be found, that will not inherit the kingdom of God. But in verse 11 it says, And such were some of you. It doesn't say, and such are some of you. But such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. While we are trying to influence the world for the better, we mustn't allow the world to influence us for the worse. And that's what it means for an individual to avoid worldliness. But now, what does it mean for the church? When we look at the church, there are certain things that we need to keep out of the church and keep out of our lives as Christians. There are many temptations from the world for us to become the church of the world. In worship especially. Adopting instrumental music for which we have no authority. Praise teams, choirs, hand clapping, that kind of thing. It comes in and it divides us and and that's not the way that the church is supposed to be. We are not to be divided against ourselves. But we are to be united under Christ. By changing our practices regarding the Lord's Supper, either observing it on other occasions in the first day of the week, or not observing it weekly as it is commanded, this leads to worldliness. another thing that that leads to worldliness and something that we have to be very careful of observance of religious holidays such as Easter and Christmas and there is nothing inherently wrong with recognizing the reasons for which the world celebrates we we recognize the birth of Christ we recognize his resurrection and there is nothing wrong with recognizing those but the problem comes Whenever we observe these only on Christmas and Easter, respectively. God never authorized holidays in which the church should recognize these things. And it's something that we must be very careful of. I think last year Brother Jeff had one of the greatest lessons on on how we can observe Christmas and how we can observe the birth of Christ. But we don't have to do it just at certain times during the year. I remember in a Bible class a few years ago, Rosalie mentioned something that that I've I've kept in my memory ever since. But she mentioned that that it would be wrong whenever it comes to singing Christmas songs if we only sang them on Christmas. And so I've strived to, to lead some of those songs at other times during the year to help us to recognize that these things aren't secluded to just Christmas and Easter. We need to be careful not to bring the the world into the church in regard to these religious holidays. But recognize these things all throughout our lives. The birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ are both very important to the Christian. They should be recognized more than just once a year. The church has changed many of its views and, and teachings regarding certain subjects because of the influence of the world. Something that we've been talking about in our, our classes in the school of preaching uh, the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. In Matthew 19, verses 4 through 9, we read very specifically exactly what God wants in regard to marriage. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man Separate Marriage was not meant to be divided apart from the beginning. And whenever it is divided, whenever there is a divorce, it causes great problems. Jesus said also in verse 9, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, except for the cause of fornication or adultery, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. The only cause, the only lawful cause in the eyes of God for a divorce is sexual immorality, adultery. And it's only for the innocent to be able to remarry because that's, that's exactly what is stated. But when we look at uh, this, we see that that many things have changed our view. We see relationships. We see people come into the church and and we want to to do what's right by them. We we think that if we tell them the truth, that they won't heed it. And maybe they won't. We can't change our policies. We can't change our teachings based on what the world believes or feels is right. Another one that that causes a great deal of problem in the church is is alcohol and how we view alcohol. I want to be very careful about how I I say this. A few weeks ago we looked at the word judgment. And I understand that as Christians, we should all understand that when it comes to judging heaven and hell, in which way someone will go. We, we have no right, we have no authority to judge. That authority belongs to God. But we are told of the dangers that alcohol can bring, and, and not alcohol in and of itself, but, but in drinking it, and, and drinking to the point of drunkenness. Already twice in our, our scriptures for today, we've seen the sin of drunkenness that is mentioned Will those who drink alcohol on occasion be condemned? I I have no authority to really say. There's no clear-cut thing that says that you cannot drink. I believe in scriptures. But it does have its dangers, and that's what we need to be careful of. I I question 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 23. Why did Paul have to tell Timothy to use alcohol for his stomach's sake? Maybe because he wasn't using it. Maybe because he saw the dangers in it and was refraining himself from doing so. I don't know. But it is a concern of mine. From a personal standpoint, I could never drink. But nor could I condemn someone who chose to drink on an occasional basis. That, that's something for you to decide. But I know that I, I could never in good conscience do so. And so I, I never would be able to do it without sinning against myself. But we do understand that drunkenness, whether you believe in, in occasional drinking or not, drunkenness is a sin, and it is condemned in Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3-6, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Drinking to the point of drunkenness is something that is forbidden by God, and it's something that we must be very careful of in the use of alcohol. One of the reasons I, I wanted to bring this into the lesson, a few years ago, I spoke a lesson uh, similar, at least uh, in regard to this subject at inner city. And I remember a brother that came up to me after the service and, and talked to me, and he said, "You know, I, I've never looked at alcohol in that way it's being wrong." He said, I've never had a problem with coming to services and going home and, and shooting back a few brewskis, as he called them. But drinking is something that we need to be very careful of, and especially to the point of drunkenness. to make sure that we abstain from doing so. Whenever we lose control of our members, uh, we lose control of, of our morality. And we will sin against God. And the same would go for drugs or anything like that that would change our, our thinking. And, and even things that, that might just, might harm the body. We need to be very, very careful of those things as well. And there are other things that the church seems to be changing its view on that we need to be very careful of. Homosexuality. How do we receive someone who willingly admits that they're homosexual? pornography, sexual immorality, these things have, have changed. Our views on these things have changed over the years because of the way that people participate in them. And there are other things that, that maybe are, are more common that maybe we don't look at as seriously. Idolatry, covetousness, even going as far as the sin of murder. All of these things are, are listed together. And all are sinful behaviors and Christians cannot become lax in their view of sin. We cannot allow worldliness to control the church. The church was established by Christ and it remains His church. And we are not to serve our own desires of what we think the church ought to be, but we should be careful to keep Christ's church pure from the unrighteousness of the world. Though the church is in the world and has a duty to the world, we must not allow ourselves to become like the world. We must stand firm in the truth, Second Thessalonians 2, verses 13-15. through 15. We must abstain from every form of evil, every appearance of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 22. Uh, We see that the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Uh, the problem in the church of Corinth is that it was something that, that had come into the church. Uh, it, it was something that had come from without it and it had come within. And they didn't even realize it was sin. Because their view had been changed on it. We can't allow that to happen to the church today. It, it's easy for any issue to be swept under a rug. And eventually the church may come to the point where it may realize that that sin is not sin. Or the sin that is sin, they think it's not. It's important that the church be in the world without becoming of the world. But it is just as important for the Christian to do the same. When we look at the church, worldliness is not to be among us. We need to be very careful of that. As Christians, worldliness is not to be among us. And if we've allowed something from the world to change our view, to change our decisions, to change the way that we live, that's something that that we need to correct between us and God. Maybe it is that that we can't correct it on our own. Maybe we need help. Maybe we need prayer on our behalf. We always offer an invitation. And if for some reason you realize today that as a Christian that you are more of the world than what you need to be, maybe you've been heavily influenced by it and you realize you need to change. If there is some way that we can help you in obedience or repentance, please come we stand in